and that did not play. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet Radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. Good afternoon, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Speaker, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and half a dozen other places. I have no idea where we are. I'm your hostess with the least and most is the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my guest co-host for the day. Welcome back to the show, Joshua Perry. How are you, Josh? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we got ourselves a jam-up show today. Normally we have multiple guests, but we had so much fun with Claire C.C. Carter. She'll be joining us for the entire show after we do our opening dedication and talk to our listeners. Uh, They can join us over on Facebook and uh, YouTube also, as well as the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, which I forgot to open up. That would help if I opened the chat room. (laughs) Anyway... Um, we have a lot to talk about, a lot that's going on with what's going on with Hamas and Israel and the protests here at home and in the colleges, as well as a whole plethora of other things. New Speaker of the House, uh, Trump was cleared of one of the allegations that's been hanging over his head for the last four years. Uh, feds are trying to still gag him. The ACLU is coming to his rescue, believe it or not. So. Josh, there is a ton of things to talk about today. Well, there's never a a dry moment when you have the circus in Washington, D.C. 
<laughs> no, there never, never, never is. Uh, but I was very buoyed and cheered by who they chose as the new Speaker of the House um, and some of his comments that he made. But we're going to be talking with our guest about that and why I think it's a good thing that they finally decided on this gentleman and not the others. Uh, anyway, um, those that listen to our show know that we do start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And uh, today's dedication is going to be going out to police officer uh, Anthony Ferguson uh, from Alamogorda, New Mexico. His end of watch uh, was on July 16th of this year. And let me pull up my notes here. You can tell I'm a little disorganized. I was telling Josh, listeners, that uh, I had a major computer breakdown, and those who have listened to the show recently have been hearing weird things happening. So my computer bit, bit the dust, and this morning I had to switch systems over to a laptop. So bear with me as I pull this up. This is from the Officer Down Memorial page, and it reads, Police Officer Anthony Ferguson succumbed to a gunshot wound he received during a foot pursuit of a subject who had fled the scene of a vehicle accident at 2.18 a.m. on July 16th this year. Officers attempted a traffic stop when they noticed a subject driving a vehicle without headlights or taillights. When the vehicle sped away, the officers did not initiate a pursuit, but a mile away, the vehicle crashed into a pole at First Street and Delaware Avenue. After the subject fled on foot, Officer Ferguson pursued the man. The subject pulled out a shotgun and fired, hitting Officer Ferguson in the face. Another officer returned fire and struck the subject in the leg. Officer Ferguson was flown to UMC in El Paso, where he succumbed to his wounds the next day. The subject was treated at the hospital and has been charged with an attempt to commit first-degree murder, aggravated battery on a police officer with a deadly weapon, tampering with evidence, aggravated fleeing of a police officer, resisting and evading a police officer, criminal trespass, Lights required on vehicle, failure to yield to an emergency vehicle, and reckless driving. The subject had fired at officers also in January of 2023. Officer Ferguson had served with the Alamogordo Police Department for 11 years. He survived by his daughter, son, mother, father, and four brothers. And this is from Newsbreak.com. I never thought this day would come, she said. No words anyone can say can make this pain go away. I will always be your little lady. We were supposed to go to Europe together next year, and now that will not happen. I love you so much, and I still can't believe you're gone. I will always love you forever, and always, Ferguson, said Brittany Maudlin, the daughter of fallen officer Anthony Ferguson. Poised yet heartbroken and brave, she spoke before a crowd of hundreds, visibly shaken, 
Her statement of grief resulted in a standing ovation for her bravery to stand before the Alamogordo community and to honor her father. The very public funeral service of fallen Alamogordo police officer Anthony Ferguson was held on Thursday, July 20th. The service was held at Hayes Center on the campus of New Mexico State University in Alamogordo. The ceremony was packed with heart and compassion. The overwhelming theme was that Officer Ferguson was loved and respected by his family, friends, peers, and the community at large. Officer Ferguson's service was heavily attended by local by representatives from emergency response departments from around the state and dignitaries from the state and locally. New Mexico Governor Lucien Grisham was on hand, as well as the New Mexico Attorney General Raul Torres. Both kept a low profile out of respect for the family. Insiders said a private discussion with the family was held has not been confirmed by the governor's office as they had gone to print. When one looked down the bleachers, the room was filled with a sea of emergency services personnel. Each and every member took part in a very very traditional police officer service, from a 21-gun salute to an air flyover and the Scottish bagpipe tradition was in order. The casket was draped with the American flag and then folded in a ceremonial manner and given to the daughter of the deceased, along with the white gloves, which were given in honor. Another show of respect was that the badge was shrouded, or black bands put over or around the badges of the other officers in attendance as part of the ceremony. Bagpipes played bringing Officer Ferguson into the ceremony and upon his departure from the ceremony as a leader of the procession in and out following the casket. Several speeches were given by a former roommate, those he worked with and those close to him. Both, but the most memorable was from his daughter, which resulted in the standing ovation. A friend of Ferguson said the officer always strived to do the right thing and follow his training. Ferguson was also described by friends as being a loyal and courageous person who was a prankster and who loved chocolate and ice cream. Quote, you are never going to find another like him. His bravery is unmatched. You'll never find a brave officer like him, said a speaker. Another speaker got up and spoke on behalf of the other family members and quoted them to include his mother, who was quoted as saying, there is a hole in my heart. His brother lightheartedly said, I was born first, but thanks for supporting Tony and family. Anise described him. He was my role model. The ceremony concluded with the last call, the last radio call, also which ended his watch. The last radio call is done when an officer passes away. Code for the end of watch is at 10.42, and of course, caps is played during the flyover and the 21 salute. June's funeral, Ferguson was presented with six awards for his bravery. In times like these, it's natural to question why such a society 
why such a tragedy had to befall on us. Why do bad things happen to good people? We all are hurting, and we all grieve in our own way, said acting Alamogordo police chief. Ferguson served for the Alamogordo Police Department for over 11 years. Today's show is dedicated to Officer Ferguson. So, Officer Ferguson, stand down. We have it from here. The show is also dedicated to all the first responders out there that serve and honor, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate this show to the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today. May God bless each and every one. We dedicate to them this song by Tiffany, Soul the Nation. Let it be said When we finish this race We kept them free We led with grace Let it be seen See the shining sea, beautiful America, living our legacy. Oh, 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 father, mother, sister, brother. Oh, 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 we gotta learn to love each other.
Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, iHeart, Amazon Music, iTunes, and all the heck with it. Uh, just sit back and listen and enjoy. I'm your hostess with the least most is the Radio Chickadee, me, along with my guest co-host, Josh Perry. And Josh is also not just a uh, guest co-host, but he is also um, a person in his own right as a a uh, long-time media host and commentator. Uh, he's also with, oh, Josh, I just had a brain fart. Uh, uh, RB <laughs> Network? Right Side, right side Broadcasting oh. Network. We are notorious for streaming right all of President Trump's rallies. <laughs> right Side. I apologize. Brain farts whenever I come to that, Josh. <laughs> you, know? you got a tattooed on my forehead or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can... You can follow us along at rsbn or com. Okay. Well, i got to make sure I put that up next time you come on the show. <laughs> I can't no be way. perfect all the time. Oh, man. Um, I don't even know where to start, but I have to apologize. I, I can't give out my website until after the 7th of November because I had to turn around – my computer crashes, my website crashes, so I've got someone working on building it back up from the ground up. It's costing me a pretty penny, <laughs> a lot of money, uh, but uh, hopefully we'll have that back up in about a week and a half. So if anyone's looking to go into Southern Sense website, it's going to be a little while before it comes back on. You can still reach us through YouTube and through Facebook page that is still up and working, fortunately. <laughs> I think the the, the uh, blue gods are against me, Josh. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, um, have you been following, I'm sure you have been, these uh, protests that have been going on 
the pro-Palestinians showing up, not spontaneously, at anywhere there is a Jewish protest, you know, know, looking for uh, the U.S. government, the U.N. to take action uh, for the invasion and the slaughter of their their innocent uh, citizens. Uh, Right. And 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 I would would highlight that they're not so much pro-Palestinian as they are pro-terrorist protests. Um, because Hamas was elected, and so um, they are applauding the evil works of Hamas. Well, we're going to get into a lot of this because it turns out Hamas was trained by the Al-Qaeda forces. Al-Qaeda forces? That is the, the Iranian military. They went into Iran, to the capital of Iran, and they were trained. They were being trained for this event on October 7th. And there's a lot of other things we're going to go on when our guest calls in in a few minutes. But there's no such thing as a coincidence. I don't believe it. You know, suddenly um, there was a uh, a deal between Egypt, uh, the Palestinian Authority, and Israel to go uh, drilling for natural gas reserve. And suddenly that's on hold. Uh, Hamas has turned around and was being personally trained by the El Kid in uh, Iran. And there's a lot of other things that were going on at the same time, which kind of makes you wonder uh, how much they want to blame Israel for being an occupying, an occupier of their territory. But Israel has no occupation troops there. They're not, it's being run by the Palestinian Authority, not by the Israeli government. So how can you be an occupier? Yeah, and to quote uh, Steve Bannon, there are no conspiracies and there are no coincidences. So uh, there are are at least – there are things at play we just don't know about, it seems. No, that's true. That is true. And there have been a lot of uh, illegal entries into our country by illegal aliens. And how strange that a lot of them are coming from Middle Eastern countries and all of military-aged men. Yeah. And now Uh, we have these massive pro-Palestinian uprisings, protests, uh, actually threatening physical violence and have committed physical violence against Jewish people out there. Um, A very large number of them suddenly, and yet... They all had these uniform-style things they were wearing. I'm sorry. This was not planned. This is an invasion of not just Israel. It's an invasion of the United States, and we're not recognizing it yet. Absolutely. We have this this woke sentimentism here in America that where we can't call a spade a spade because we're afraid we're going to be called racist or some kind of phobe by the media. Therefore, we're allowing ourselves to be taken over from the inside. We're just opening the doors, and it's it's a planned invasion by the current Biden administration. You know, a number of years ago when I first started doing this broadcast, (laughs) quite a number of years ago, um, I had mentioned about the uh, Muslim Brotherhood as well as CARE. They were actually going into the FBI, the CIA, uh, Department of Homeland Security and everything, and training them on sensitivity Mm -hmm. to the segment of society. 
And eventually, uh, Stainer Heads prevailed, and Care was then indicted uh, in the um, in that conspiracy. Uh, I forget the uh, Holy Land conspiracy, and they were listed as a terrorist or affiliate. Uh, Muslim Brotherhood was then finally recognized as a terrorist terrorist organization, and yet we see them coming back into play today. And the rise of the Muslim Brotherhood's influence in colleges, as well as care, and in businesses, in corporations, these woke corporations. And this is very unsettling because if they're coming in back into colleges and businesses, how much mm-hmm. are they now more being influenced back into our government with a voice? Look at, well, uh, have- the, 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 look at Congress. You have the Hamas squad, you know, with the ringleaders of AOC, Rashida Tlaib, and Alexandria, or AOC, Rashida Tlaib, and um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the other one, the three main ones. Uh, Ilian Hmm. Omar. Yes, and they are as apologetic about Hamas as they can be. Um, They will offer some kind of weak politically correct sentiment about a ceasefire, but I'm sorry, there's nothing to ceasefire about when you are invaded and murdered. Um, Israel isn't the one that needs a ceasefire. They were the ones who were attacked. Um, right. And, and the Jews were in that area long before the first Muslim ever even appeared. So it's a, it's a work a <laughs> long before. revision. Yes, it's a woke revision of history. And not only that, but it's also a microcosm of a much bigger problem that we have in America because their worldview of what they would like to do to the Jewish people and those and to Israel, the country, is what they would like to do to America. They want to literally destroy us, make us obsolete, and how and the left wants to um, impose their own form of woke caliphate here. Now, there is a bit of a difference in that. Muslims in and of themselves, they they do not go along with a lot of the social liberalism that the left adopts, but they are both sharing an enemy of their enemy. Therefore, they're going to partner together as a, as allies. Well, in the United States and in other areas, there are have been movements to reform Islam into a more moderate religion. Uh, and yet, if you were to do that, those who are conservative Muslims feel that you have now uh, committed heresy. And according to the Quran, you the death, death is the penalty. So now we have a war within Islam. But the, the Muslims here in America that are looking for reform are the ones that are being targeted now. Uh, is that you either toe the line or you face the consequences. And if you don't do that, um, in order to do that, they must destroy America from within. And hence, you have now nine people sitting in Congress. Let me pull this up here. The nine people that are sitting in Congress that, as you call, the the Hamas squad. It started off with just three. Um, You had... uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib. 
And oh my God, Rashida Tlaib sitting, standing outside the steps of Congress and her speech out there, and she got every single thing wrong. But now these three have been joined by Representative Jamil Bowman um, and Cory Bush. And and Representative Bowman also was just charged um, a slap on the wrist for pulling a fire alarm that he says he did so because he thought it would open a locked door and he was trying to get to the floor or to to uh, votes that were underway. If you remember, it was a vote on a funding bill that would ex- that would extend federal agencies being opened and. There's now video after his court appearance that have come out that shows him pulling down the sign uh, from the doors and then pulling the fire alarm. And everyone knows what he did. He pulled the fire alarm to disrupt a congressional um, appointment of votes, and he's just getting a slap on the wrist for it. He gets – he's paying a $1,000 fine, which that's nothing to him because he makes well over $100,000 a year as a member of Congress. Also, he had to issue a formal apology. And within three months, he'll have option, he'll have all the charges dropped. That was the plea deal that he made with the attorney general from D.C. Imagine the people who went to January 6th on the Capitol did less than that, and they're sitting right now in prison. Yes, some of them for 20 and 25 years. Well, Josh, let's welcome onto the show our guest today returning. Uh, she hosts the Good For You Network, Claire C.C. Carter. Good afternoon, Claire. How are you today? Good to be back with you. A lot has happened since we last talked on October 6th. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I wanted to play uh, your video uh, but never again should there be a 9-11. Let me just get a little queued up. I have to apologize because my um, – Computer's kind of like all whacked out at the same time, so I'm working off a laptop and another computer. So this is your Never Again Should There Be a 9-11. Thank you so much for playing it again. A husband calls his wife to say, I love you. Save this message your whole life. All he had was his phone. He knew he wasn't going to make it home to his family. There was no way he and others could flee. So much smoke, you could not see the way out. It certainly was not clear. Too many overwhelmed by dust, debris, and fear. Life so precious and dear. Help is on the way, is what they needed to hear. The first responders were terrific but what they faced was horrific. They went up flights of stairs to save others, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers. Their trains lay down their own life for a stranger, never thinking about the extent of the danger. Would some lives have been spared if security hadn't announced, Tower 2 is secure, it's safe to go back. They were not imagining another plane, another attack. There were those coming down the stairs who did choose to turn around. Others told by office mates, no need to leave. So for all of them, we continue to grieve. Why couldn't the Twin Towers withstand the attack? 
Were structural design flaws a fact? Who in charge had the gall to approve only three stairwells for a building that tall? How do you justify that call? It would leave more real estate to sell? Is that what it was all about? Pray, tell. Did building safety take a back seat? The steel beams inadequately fireproofed, so they could not withstand the intense heat. Have we forgotten the lessons of 9-11? All those who died and are now in heaven? Do the perpetrators of this tragedy deserve a special place in hell? But some are still alive and well in Guantanamo, this much we know. There were those more concerned about the conditions of their confinement than that they be tried in a military courtroom so justice could be served, that a tribunal would decide what they deserved. 22 years later, they are still breathing in the air while so many got sick and died in the intervening years from the toxic dust, does that somehow seem fair? On 9-11, there were those who jumped rather than die by fire. They did not get to live their dreams and inspire the next generation because of their premature expiration. How do you make sense of the senseless? We came together then but one wonders when will we see that again. Shame on all those who would tear us apart, who are not genuine, they do not come from their heart. Whether politicians or members of the media or others on either side of the aisle espousing extreme views, always up for a fight, not open to differences of opinion because they always have to be right, which makes you wrong. Isn't that their repetitive song? We do not honor those who died when we haven't even tried to get past our differences. Be open to other points of view. That's something those who died are due. They gave their lives. For what? And their families got to pay, to be precise, too high a price. How dare we forget? We are supposed to be there for each other. Teach our children to come together, not fight and call each other disparaging names. This is not setting an example. It's playing a sick game. Could 9-11 have been prevented? Will we ever know the answer? So many lives lost, such incredible cost. But did anyone lose their job? held accountable for the unthinkable? Was it a national security blunder? Don't we have a right to wonder about decisions presidents made, the role the FBI played, and the ultimate price paid? What if U.S. airline security had been more like LL? Would the terrorists have been thwarted instead of feeling rewarded with a mission complete? A horrendous feat. There were experts back then whose warnings were not heeded. Our screening system was not good enough and needed to be updated. 9-11 was not faded. We New Yorkers were told the air was safe, but that was not true. Did government officials have a clue that what they were saying was a lie? 
So you have to ask why again. The people in charge face no consequences for their actions or inaction. Years later, Christy Whitman, then head of the EPA, said we did the best with what we knew at the time. Really? Affecting people's health may not be a crime, but shame on all those who misled us about what was deadly dust. If you can't breathe the air without a mask, you can trust it's not safe outside to do any task. We are still vulnerable to another terrorist attack. The Secretary of Homeland Security says the southern border is secure, but the reality is it's now an open door. Pictures don't tell lies. So how does he get away with saying that when we can see with our own eyes? Check out if that's a fact. Have we turned the border inadvertently into a welcome mat for would-be terrorists too? All it takes is a few to turn our world topsy-turvy. Would you agree? A man was just four when his uncle Jimmy who he is named for, died that day. In the annual reading of the names of the dead, this is what he said, reminding the politicians, quote, it should not take a tragedy to unite us because of a dereliction of duty, unquote. Protect us from what's in store if we choose to ignore the warnings of experts who know better but sadly, can't count on those in charge to practice prevention. There was no intervention before the 11th of September, and as a result, we will always remember. Wow. Wow, that's powerful. That is powerful. Hearing it over again and over again, it brings so much back. Thank you so much for for me to take it in again. I mean, when I first wrote it, which was a year ago, after the September 11th Remembrances in 2021, I waited a year to put this all together. It was emotional for me when I first started, Annie, to even record it. And I so clearly did it not only to honor and remember those who died and those who, you know, who survived, but for everybody whose life was forevermore not the same. And I told you I was somebody who lived in downtown New York at the time, so very different for those of us who were living in what felt like a war zone. And so you want to bring people together. And I think in mentioning, I think what's going on today, what's going on then, it was making sense of the senseless. So in the video, when people go to YouTube, to, I hope they will, to see Never Again Should There Be a 9-11, there's some very powerful images there. And one is of a woman named Marcy Borders, and she was covered over with dust. And she was like a sculpture, covered over with dust. And I said, what image is making sense of the senseless when I say those words? And it was so senseless because your heart goes out Whenever innocent people are hurt, 
injured, killed, but especially in something like a 9-11, a mass murder, or what just happened recently. And so it was wanting to bring people together and also to not have it happen again. I listened to a sermon that Sunday after 9-11, and I never forgot those words. And I did another piece called Reflections on 9-11, which was based on going down to the World Trade Center site two months later, spending two hours and part of the time at the Teddy Bear Memorial site writing down what people wrote, poems, a poem about if I had only known it was going to be the last time I saw you, I would have hugged you tighter, a little child saying, I love you, Daddy. But the sermon was, we cannot allow these people to die in vain. We must do good in their name. And you want those words to resound all over the world, to do good, to do good in their name. And love is more powerful than hate. Love, never underestimate it. Bring people together. And there are a lot of people hurting right now, but just as they did then, and they're still hurting, and there are still people, more firefighters, or just as many firefighters have died from 9-11-related cancers, have died that day. So it's like, how do we help to heal a planet that feels like, as the PBS special that's on 9 o'clock on Sundays right now, re-airing from taking place during World War II called World on Fire. So the idea was not to fan, fan the fire, but how do we heal? This is a country and a world that's in need of healing. So I'm so grateful to you for playing this again, because the intention was, how do we prevent it from happening again? How do we do that? Wow. Well, <laughs> we, we've stepped into a time right now that I don't know if there are any full answers, uh, but we have someone like you helping us to find a way to, through it because we are now more divided than ever before, uh, and we have a good chance of facing another 9-11 real soon. We have a porous border that has let God knows who in. We have so many enemies crossing in, uh, setting up shop that we have no idea. And no one's vetted. We have no idea where they've disappeared into the fabric of our nation. And they're not just coming through the southern border. They're coming through the airports because they have visas, and they just ignore the visa and disappear. We have enemies among us. And as we see in these these pro-Palestinian protests, where they're actually calling for deaths of Jewish students in colleges, and someone said, oh, no, we're not doing that until they played the tape back and says, oh, yes, you did. They had one yeah. woman marching in Binghamton College, raising her fist, her hand in a Nazi salute. And I'm like, this is a black woman raising her hand in a Nazi salute? And she's yelling death to Israel. I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, that's, that's not something good happening. And we're being forced to be divided. And uh, one thing I am seeing is that people are coming to the aid of those that are facing anti-Semitism and standing up for their fellow American. And maybe that's the healing that says, hey, listen, we're not going to put up with your hatred. I'm going to stand by my my fellow American, my neighbor here, and defend them. Your hatred is not going to last. Yes, there's a lot you bring up, Annie. But let me first start with the idea of in terms of never again should something like a 9-11 happen. Um, what the two, what September 11th and October 7th do have in common is 
Music Magazine did a series after the fact of 9-11. It's like, how did this happen? How, how was it that we didn't thwart somehow the 9-11 attack? And they concluded, this is Newsweek Magazine after investigative series, that our security agencies flat out failed to do their job and that it's important that people be held accountable. It's dangerous if they're not. And so who lost their job at the CIA or the FBI or in terms of the Bush administration or the um, Clinton administration before it, it's important to take a look at it. And so they detailed it so many different times that they could have maybe put the dots together in terms of the hijackers and going to flight school, um, lax airline security that people knew about how easy it was to get, whether it was box cutters, knives, or anything on board. But it was also Interesting, there was somebody writing um, who is a former acting CIA deputy director of operations, um, Jack Devine, and he said, one clear lesson is that human intelligence, that old-fashioned spying has been neglected, and he writes that the Hamas attack on Israel should be a wake-up call to U.S. intelligence services. It's like, it's what happened. They'll do, a, you know, an investigation after, you know, in some months from now. But what happened in terms of not only Israeli intelligence, but U.S. intelligence? And one of the things that is an important point is, and I quote him, the reality is that human intelligence connection, in other words, the recruitment and use of spies, has stagnated. The U.S. and its allies have ramped up resources for technological intelligence solutions, leaving the spy networks underfunded. So I believe in how do you solve problems? So you bring the best minds together. And you try and figure out how do we come to a solution? You know, um, you know, if you are the national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, right now, and he had said in an interview, and I was reading, um, you know, right before October 7th that the Middle East is quieter than it's been in decades. And, you know, and he quoted, was quoted as saying, President Biden's discipline approach frees up resources for other global priorities, reduces the risk of new Middle Eastern conflicts, ensures that U.S. interests are protected on a far more sustainable basis. All I'm saying, without pointing fingers at people, but we've got to own up if we're wrong. We've got to own up to why is it. And that's the responsibility to prevent a problem. But it's here. And I think hate is never a good thing. Hate is like a disease, and it's hard to detox from it, especially when you teach children at a young age to hate. And we're all the losers from it, and we are all the losers in a civilized society if we do not stand up, you know, and say intentional targeting of civilians is never okay. Mass murder is never okay. Right. We have have allowed an element to come back into our society that we thought we had expelled. Um, we had care, which was a, uh, unindicted co-conspirator in the Holy land conspiracy. And they were then marked as, you know, affiliate of a terrorist organization, the Muslim brotherhood, Muslim brotherhood had gotten themselves entrenched in training our CIA, our FBI and other security forces in the federal and state local governments. Uh, they were then recognized as terrorists. They have, tremendous influence in college universities and then we tied in i think i may have talked to you about this also the new college accreditation 
30, 40, 50 years ago, you may have had only one or two colleges accredited. It was something really nice, a, a nice thing to have to say that you have the best of the best. And everyone wanted their kid to go to an accredited college. But now in order for a college to exist, they must be accredited. But the individuals who now do the accreditation are all in bed with all these other organizations. And now if you don't walk their walk and talk their talk and do the woke thing that they demand you to do, uh, then you don't you don't ha- have a college. Or if you're a conservative professor in that college, you don't open your mouth. Uh, and it's gotten so bad now that we have these protests on colleges where students are going after students because one is Jewish and one is pr- uh uh, protesting for the pro-Palestinian movement. And because you're Jewish, now you are going to be attacked. Uh, we had a guy from Turning Point USA that got beat up because he simply was trying to help an elderly Jewish couple get back to their car because they got stuck in the middle of a pro-Palestinian uh, uh, protest. And he ended up with a concussion. We have allowed this to seep into our society, but we have to find a way now to take back the moral high ground and say no, this is not going to. This is not who we are. This is not what America is about. Well, I think it starts with what you teach children at a very young age. One of the things in when I did Never Again Should There Be a 9/11, there are some images of wonderful kids playing together, and you see that. You know, I live in New York City, and you see during the summer or after school, it's kids of all ages and races and religions, and teach children just to play together and to be accepting, which kids are. Hatred is something that is taught. You're not born into the world this way. I don't want to fan the flames. You know, I want to very clearly bring people together. I don't know the details of a lot of different things. They're beyond my pay scale or whatever pay grade, as they say. But I do know from having done Never Again, Should There Be a 9-11, that hatred is a bad thing. I will tell you the story of being at a reception. This is shortly after 9-11. And I overheard several college professors from a university or college speaking. And they were saying that America got what America deserved. This is right after 9-11. And I'm living in downtown New York. This reception took place in downtown New York. And I couldn't stand by and not say, excuse me, because I'm hearing them speak. I said, America's not perfect. No country is. No country is. No country does everything right, not America, not Israel. No country does everything right. But but there's nothing America has done that justifies the innocent killings of civilians. Nothing. And I had to say it. And so I would say that now, you know, especially, it doesn't matter where your sympathies lie, but as human beings on planet Earth, whether mm-hmm. it's, the civilians that were being killed when Putin went into Ukraine, Assad gassing to death his own people, 60 Minutes showed the bodies on the ground of men, women, and children, or white helmets, they showed white helmets, people with white helmets going in to dig up the rubble after Assad's forces had bombed civilian apartment buildings or whatever, or what happened in Israel. What happens to people's humanity? How do they justify? Because there is no justification. There is no defense whatsoever for massacre, for slaughter. I can't even say the words for the beheading, but I'm going to say it, for beheading of babies, for people being set on fire, for torture, for rape. How do you justify it? 
And, you know, what do you say to the young woman who was at that concert who survived, who survived? All people around her, several hundred, couple of hundred people dying, who somehow as a miracle survived, and then to come back to America. And it's one thing to support the caring and compassion and cause of Palestinians. It's another to support Hamas. If you terrorize, if you murder, mass murder, what they did was so savage. And you don't have to be stand up, you know, necessarily or feel or be a fan of Israel, whatever, but you have to stand up for humanity. You have to say that's not okay. Mm-hmm. So imagine how this young woman feels coming back. And I think some students at colleges should remember that they said they were traumatized by somebody coming to speak at their campus that they disagreed with. That was a trauma. And universities were providing spaces for them to go. Nobody was forcing them to go, but that was trauma. What is real trauma? Trauma is being at a concert. Trauma is being in your home and having people around you murdered. That's trauma. Trauma is what the people in Maine just went through. That's real trauma. Trauma is not because you disagree with somebody and they want to speak and you're not required. And I think the um, governor, um, Janet Mills, yesterday of Maine, after all of these sad murders, mass murders, said, it's hard to think about healing when our hearts are broken. We need to wrap our arms around one another, offer comfort and love. And I thought, how don't we, as human beings, look what happened. You can't excuse it. You can't justify it. You can't defend it. This is not about Palestinians, Israelis. This is about mass murder and slaughter. And good people, I want people to come together. I truly believe love is more powerful than hate, and we should not underestimate the power of love, and that love can travel faster than hate. I believe that. That's a spiritual message that I believe. And maybe some of these young people need more of a spiritual foundation and education to understand we're all human beings. People, Most people around the world just want to live in peace. They want to take care of their families. They want to have good lives. We're here to experience joy and make a positive difference. That's the message. That's why I did never again should there be a 9-11. But I don't want to fan the flames of all of that. But what I would say is when it comes to caring, compassion, and concern, and what Hamas did, they planned it for months. They knew. It's like an act of war, Mm -hmm. mass murder. They knew there would be retaliation. America certainly was going to retaliate after 9-11. They knew it. Where was their caring and compassion and concern for the Palestinian families that would be collateral damage, that would be casualties of war? Not by intentionally targeting, but because that's where Hamas embeds. It's where they are. Where was their concern? You know, they even saying to the people, stay where you are. So we all have to care. There needs to be more caring, compassion, and concern for all human beings. Well, you know, there was Peggy Hall has a uh, blog up on Substack, and she posed a question. Because when we looked at what was going on over there, what ignited this, she said that there was a deal being done that the Washington Post uh, reported back in October of uh, 22 between Israel, Egypt, and the Palestinian Authority in Gaza. And what they were negotiating is that the Egyptian petroleum minister uh, announced was for the Palestinian Authority, with unofficial consent by Israel, to develop Gaza's offshore gas fields, known as the Gaza Marine 1 and 2, 
which are 20 miles off of the coast of Gaza and has an estimated trillion cubic feet of natural gas. Now, had that deal gone through, um, it would have allowed uh, the Palestinian Authority to use that money now to help the people in the Gaza Strip. Because they're, they're very poor there, extremely poor. Now, the prime minister of Israel made a statement which was supporting this, which shows that in the end, the Israeli government got behind this, says, yes, we're going to help you do this. Now, that's love. That's working with your neighbors. But Hamas didn't want that to happen. And she seems to question as to whether or not this might have been what precipitated the attacks. Then we find out that Hamas was being trained for this very attack in Iran by the Al-Qaeda. So, as you said, the intelligence signs were there. Somehow or other, the ball got dropped. And here again, you mentioned, let's find out how this happened so it doesn't happen again. But I think the end result that we should be looking at is now encouraging Israel and Egypt to find some way around Hamas to, to, to shut them out or, or if we have to destroy them to bring the Palestinian Authority, Egypt and Israel back together onto the talking table. Yeah. You know, it's, I could say mothers of the world, you know, um, two mothers of the world. There was one um, Israeli woman that was being interviewed on a cable network and she set out a plea to all mothers in the world, because mothers understand you want your children to be okay, you want your children to be safe. And I remember somebody telling me they had been in the Middle East um, at the time of the Abraham Accords, and Arab mothers and Israeli mothers were so hopeful, because they don't want to raise children who are going to go to war. You know, they want peace. And it's like, how do we bring out the best in people? How do we bring out the humanity in people? Um, Because hatred as I said, when it infests you, it rots you inside. You know, it's like, how do you detox from it? And from anger, you know, from anger and hatred, um, you know, we've got to do individually what we do. And but trauma, so many people are in trauma. Somebody I was talking to the other day, she just broke down in tears. And she's not in personally involved. She's neither Palestinian or Israeli. It was just as a human being. It was so heartbreaking to her to see all the sadness that was going on. And so people have to speak up about that. We have to be there for each other. We have to help each other to heal. There's a part of, you know, with trauma, there's a group called Voices of Resilience in Connecticut, and they worked with people after 9-11, but they work with anybody that's in trauma. And we need more groups like that that are working to help people to deal with the lasting impact of trauma because some people are never the same. I mean, you're different. You either go through an experience, as a sermon I heard years ago said, don't just go through it. You've got to grow through it. It's very hard. Nobody wants to volunteer to get tested. Nobody wants to be anywhere where they have to experience what people have experienced on October 7th or what they experienced just now in Maine. Nobody wants to go through it. But how do you heal and grow through it? So you can go on, you can live, you can be productive, you can have meaning in life, and you can have joy because we are meant to get joy from this world, and we are meant to contribute Mm -hmm. in whatever. Hate is not the answer. No, but we have to also recognize hate for what it is, and we have to recognize Mm -hmm. Hamas for what they are. They are the enemy. They are pure hate, 
And if we don't recognize that, then we cannot deal with the situation and control it and then bring the healing to where it's needed the most. Um, that we have to make sure that we don't do. Well, it goes back to, as I said, how I don't know all the history. I'm not an expert in the area. Um, you know, I did a lot of research for Never Again Should There Be a 9-11 to make sure that my facts were correct, meaning I didn't know until 2021 that there were only three stairwells that were built for a building that tall, and I wrote who had the gall, you know, to build only three stairwells. I did not know that. I did know for a fact that security got it wrong in Tower 2. They did say, you know, Tower 2 was secure. You know, it's safe to go back, and there were people who turned around, and I talked to somebody who was coming down those stairs. And so there were things I wanted to be accurate in what was said. And um, and I think that's important. So there are certain things I may not be all that as familiar with. But I do know that we either learn from what goes on. We're either honest when mistakes are made, if there is an intelligence failure. Look, you know, we have we had a pandemic. We want to prevent another one from happening. But how do you do that if you're not honest and you don't really look into how it start in the first place? That's part mm-hmm. of it, finding the solution, is being able to look. I'm not talking about pointing fingers. This person did that person. It's like, where did we go wrong? Was it a national intelligence failure that we did not know with boots on the ground, as this person was referring to, in China to know soon enough? Did we not know to shut down airplane travel soon enough? What is it that happened, and what is it that we can learn? Um, gain-of-function research in which you tinker and toy with a virus to make it more lethal that was being done. You know, should that kind of research be done? You've got to ask people like Dr. Fauci, should that be done? He was quoted in a video as saying we don't want to impede the um, creativity of scientists. But what is the upside if the downside was always the fact that there could be a worldwide pandemic as a result? Listen to somebody like a Dr. Redfield, who is head of the Centers for Disease Control, saying how could scientists have immediately said in the beginning part of 2020 that, you didn't come from a lab. How could you know? If you're a scientist, you've got to study something. You've got to have a hypothesis or whatever. So we need to look at those things. And I think the media also needs to look at itself, you know, and say good journalism investigates. Good journalism or even social media would not have shut down in February, March of 2020 any mention of the possibility of the Wuhan lab being the source. How is it? A couple of years later, we now have Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, saying it now likely started, you know, in the Wuhan lab. You have to look on the Department of Energy saying the same thing. Where is it? It's also the media responsibility to dig deeper and figure out what is well, going on. We, we have another media person with us as my guest co-host, Josh. Josh, uh, jump on in here because the media... Uh, there was only just a very small segment of it that was reporting about the truth about the COVID virus, about the truth about 9-11, and now about the truth that's going on over here uh, between Israel and Hamas and our protests here in the United States. We're not getting a lot of true journalism coming out of the, the woke media, are we? True. I mean, and during COVID, um, uh <clears throat> There were people of good faith questioning, asking good investigative questions, 
not just journalists, that, um, but people of an authority in the medical realm who were saying, you know, we are implementing practices that make zero sense to the rest of how we practice medicine. Nothing we do is making sense. Everything we're doing is out of thin air. And then it wasn't a phenomenon to see a politician break his or her COVID uh, protocol to go on and do whatever they wanted to do. We saw with Governor Gavin Newsom in California shut down the restaurant industry. Where was he caught? At a expensive restaurant in California. We saw Governor Whitmer after she shut down Michigan. Her husband was caught traveling to their second house where she said you weren't allowed to do that. Um, and then if you if you questioned anything, you were dubbed a conspiracy theorist. You were you were considered irrelevant because you are not a pathologist or a microbiologist. You are and you don't have to be an authority within a subject to ask questions that if I'm being told what is true, I will see consistent consistency and logic, not um, inconsistency and ambiguity. Um, and then with Israel, there are so many different reports. And, and the fact is, is that we have a cabal here in our country, and it's not fun to say. It's it, the, one of the biggest bitter pills I've had to swallow as I went into adulthood was learning that America is not the uh, knight in shining armor that I grew up believing it was, and knowing that the FBI is not the the always the good guy. Um, and so there there is a military industrial complex in America. Um, that wants us to go to war, and then the the conflict between Israel and uh, the Palestinians, which also it's important to note that if you are cheering on the Palestinians, you cannot separate that from also cheering on Hamas because Hamas is the representative government of Palestine. Um, they were elected, and you have – I don't believe that – I think you can be objective and say we don't want families die. I don't want children to die in Israel. I don't want children to die – I don't want Palestinian children to die either. They have no no uh, say in, in what's going on. But we also understand that Israel is being attacked. They are not the aggressor. If Israel or if, if Hamas was to choose peace today, there would be peace. If Israel was to choose to back off, Israel would cease to exist Um, because it is a worldview. It's a religious worldview that Hamas holds that it is a holy and just thing to eradicate the Jews. And so as long as you are fighting that spiritual war, there's nothing that can can be done about that And uh, because that's the worldview they hold to. As a Christian, I – you know, the, the Bible tells me that man is depraved, and it's only by the grace of God that he is redeemed. Um, and so one of the best ways we can do it, if we want to love uh, Hamas and Palestinians, is not to subvert justice that should come to them, um, but we can also pray that they would be saved by the gospel. Um, and, that, uh, and that's really the only way we're going to get true peace over there. Uh, I think we can broker more peace deals like President Trump did with the Abraham Accords. But it's also 
a representation of what happens when you have weak leadership in the White House. And that's not to make things political, but it is an in fact representation of what happens within four years of a strong administration on the global scale compared to today's administration that continues to be a laughingstock around the world. Well, let me say this. Look, there's a lot of disagreement in the country. There's a lot of division. There are a lot of people who think differently. I can respect all different points of view. And you need, we need to be able to listen to each other. And I think what's happened is if one just talks and you just talk to the same people that agree with you and you can go on and on and on, but we have to understand how, why, how and why people do think differently from respect that they think differently because we've got to hear each other. And my thing is I'm bored by problems. I like solutions. So I like the idea of brainstorming. And if everybody thinks alike, it's not much of a brainstorming session, frankly, because everybody's thinking alike. So you want to solve a problem, you get in a room, and you try and figure out what is it that we need to do. So, you know, I brought up COVID and an example of how do you prevent something like this from happening again? Well, it's hard to prevent it if you don't get to the bottom of how it started in the first place. And we've got to be honest, it shouldn't be a Republican or a Democratic or an independent point of view, left, right, or whatever. We all lost people that we loved from COVID. Pretty much all of us did. We should want to get to the bottom of how it started. We should have discussions about this gain-of-function research that I know I never heard of it before COVID. You know, I didn't understand that they literally do research with animals, you know, and they try with viruses, they make them more lethal and more lethal and more lethal and toy with them and whatever, with always the possibility that it could transmit from animal to humans, with always the possibility that it could create a pandemic. So all I'm saying is, if you're interviewing somebody like a Dr. Fauci or Dr. Collins, I wrote a letter to the CBS Sunday Morning News, a show that I really like a lot saying, but if you're going to interview Dr. Fauci, you need to ask him those kinds of questions. That's all. It's fine whether you respect Dr. Fauci, whether you're critical of Dr. Fauci, but if you have that job, you should be able to answer those questions. It's fair enough to say, do we want to continue to do gain-of-function research, especially when it was known at the Wuhan lab that there were some security issues that had been brought up by State Department officials? Could it have started there? and was data destroyed afterwards. But these are serious questions. A question between emails that went back and forth between Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins in the earlier part of 2020, labeled conspiracy theory, and they were later redacted. What was the conspiracy theater? Why, as Americans, can't we know? What were you talking about? Why did these scientists write a letter to Lancet right away saying it didn't come from a lab when they really couldn't know? These are relatively, these are decent questions. It's not about being on one extreme or another. They're not Republican questions. They're not Democratic questions. It's like we all want to ensure that there's never another pandemic, whether it's unintentional or intentional. And in the same way that, you know, I would say to Congress, you know, right now, we want to ensure that there's not fraud, waste, and mismanagement because we need to spend our money wisely. And there was a story recently about $135 billion in fraud that went for state unemployment benefits. And the Wall Street Journal wrote an editorial saying, in the same government, the fraud explosion would be a call to action 
But in today's Washington, all that matters to politicians is how much money they spend, not whether it's wasteful, wasted or stolen. That's on both sides of the aisle. So money is an issue right now because we want to send money. We want to send money to, you know, Israel, to Ukraine for military equipment. But we can't allow fraud, waste, and mismanagement. Can we at least agree on that? Can we find the areas of agreement that fraud, waste, and mismanagement is not okay, especially when we have to watch the dollars that we spend. We only have so much of it. What can we come together with? Because all of the talk, you can talk, 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 but if people aren't going to listen, if they shut out anybody who disagrees with them, how do we find some sort of consensus? And that's what I was saying with Never Again Should There Be a 9-11. This is how we honor the people who died, who survived, or whatever. We need to listen to each other. We need to be respectful. But we need to come to solutions. So I'd love to hear, you know, where are the solutions? Well, right now, uh, they're very few and far between because we've got a media that is so busy opining and not digging for those facts that we need. Where are the media of the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s? Where are the people that broke Watergate? Uh, Where are the real true reporters out there? Uh, Instead, you've got CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. They're more busy chasing the advertisers that want to keep the woke message out there. I'm sorry. I used the wrong pronoun, and now you go into your safe space, and we have to give you a little teddy bear because I just destroyed your life by using the wrong pronoun. The, the, The thick skin all of us had grown up with life. Good things and bad things happen to deal with them and grow up. But we don't have that now. Um, there was an editorial I just read in the Epoch Times from Jeffrey Tucker, and he says, well, are we a demoralized and lazy people? Are we ready to fight for our liberties our founders had established for us and be able to get along as an American, as a melting pot and not a multicultural where we're at each other's throat? Can we bring our nation back to what our founders want people to exist side by side, no matter who, no matter what, and can we get our media to do the job that they should be doing and not telling us what to think and how to think? I'm sorry, Josh, I just stepped all over you. Go ahead, hon. No, solutions are – you can't have solutions without having accountability, and uh, there's still no accountability for, um, you know, going back to COVID since we've been talking about that topic. Congress or Senator um, Rand Paul – a doctor, um, there were very good hearings between he and Dr. Fauci, and Dr. Fauci lied to Congress multiple times during congressional hearings, and he has faced zero consequences. So it's hard to have solutions when there's no one that can be held accountable, um, and it's also difficult to come up with solutions when what was used to be a unanimous definition of what it means to be an American is extremely polar opposite today. You go to a public university and you ask anyone what it means to be an American, they will tell you they hate this country. Majority of students will. They will tell you they prefer communism. They prefer socialism. America today is not the same America that I grew up with when I was a kid, that my parents had, that my grandparents had. People today have a different view of what it means to be an American, and a lot of it is hatred of the Constitution, of the Declaration of Independence, of our history. And so it's hard to come up with solutions when there's not a a unity around 
what it means to be an American and how to create a solution. For example, the wars that we are finding ourselves in, which I wish we weren't, in the Middle East and in Ukraine, as an American, I don't want our in, involved in that. We are too broke as a country, too far in debt to send humanitarian aid, which is just a key word for money to fight a war, to any other country. It's not our, it's not our problem. It's not our business, and that's harsh, but we have Americans here today that need to be taken care of first, but we can't even agree on that. Well, Josh, but I think you also have to be open to the idea that there are people who feel differently. And let me say to this, you know, do you sit back? I remember when Putin first went into Ukraine, and I have a friend who's Ukrainian, and his friends were in the subways, and he was sending telegraphing some money to help them. And I gave him some money because the thought of families being in subways uh, stations and tunnels and whatever. I mean, there are obviously, do we just sit back and allow civilians in Ukraine to be bombed, to be killed, their lives, their, their families and destroyed? There have been throughout humanity, people like Putin, you know, the man is what, a billionaire or at least a multi, multi-millionaire. And it's not enough just to run your own country and run it well and make it a good place for people, a caring, compassionate place for people to live for those people who think communism or socialism may be better to live under. I've talked to too many people who did live under it and left it and came to America. So maybe they should you know, have that experience of being there. But it's like if our heart as humanity doesn't go out and we sit back, humanity, where's the United Nations when this happens in Ukraine or it happens in Syria or, or wherever it happens. And now in Israel, um, you know, I think everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but wherever civilians are being targeted, wherever civilians are dying, wherever families are being torn apart, does the rest of humanity just say, oh, it's not affecting me, it's not affecting my family? So I think it's a, it's a hard one. And yes, we want to protect here, but we're all connected as human beings on planet Earth. And when it happens, we're all the losers by it no matter where civilians are targeted or where they're, being, where, where they're dying. And um, so that's, that's all. I mean, I think people can have different points of view, and that's fine. Let's listen to each other. Let's hear each other. doesn't make one person right, one person wrong, you know. But there needs to be healing, and it needs to happen. And there needs to be gratitude for what you are given. So for those people who think socialism is better than, you know, capitalism or don't care for America, I remember after 9-11, I walked out of my neighborhood because there were no cars allowed. And it was a few days later and couldn't breathe when I came back. But I had a cab driver that I'll never forget. And he stopped the cab and he just wanted to talk. No meter on, whatever. We talked for the next 20, 25 minutes. He said, I came to America from Colombia. I'll never forget this. I'm so grateful to this country for the opportunities that I've had here, the life that I've had here. I educated my children. One of my daughters, really smart. She works on Wall Street. She's a manager. My other daughter works for her. And she said, I live in a particular neighborhood. And he talks, you know, he hears people have recently come here. And he heard a few people talk about openly hating America. And he said, why are you here? Why did you come here? And 
they said to him, this is just a, a story that he told me about a, several people that came here for the money. And he was so distressed because he came here and blessed this country. Hatred is not a good thing. We welcome people in. We welcome immigrants in. We've always welcomed. This is a nation built on immigrants and legal immigration. But hatred, that's not something to be welcomed. That's the one thing, hatred, because hatred can spread and what it can do. But there's something about the healing power of gratitude, appreciate what you have and what you, when you have it, to be wanting to deal with anger, even something as simple. Sometimes we need to self-soothe. You know, it's like would you ever put your right hand on your left shoulder, your left hand on your right shoulder, and you just give yourself a hug or you massage down your arms as a way of just sometimes we just need to soothe ourselves. We need to do some deep breathing. We need to picture something that's a pleasant, a pleasant image to breathe it in and to breathe out, to breathe out whatever, the negativity, the anger, the whatever that we're feeling, the hurt, we need to breathe it out because when it festers inside, it does damage to our soul. And, um, and that's why I went and comforted somebody who was crying to me because she just couldn't take everything. And this is right before what happened in Maine. It's like, and what do you say to children and how do you protect them, you know, when they're too young to understand? How do you foster in them this feeling of love and caring and also that they need to feel safe? and safe in the world. These are complicated issues. There are no simple solutions. We're not going to all agree with each other, but we have to agree to respectfully disagree without attacking. And I think when it comes to COVID, you know, it's still around and we've got to make sure that there never is another pandemic, whether unintentionally or intentionally set. That's very important. We need to make sure with all that money that's being fraud, waste, mismanagement, that we secure our electric grid, another subject that I care greatly about. And, um, and we need to listen. If people can check out, James Woolsey in 2015 spoke before the Senate Homeland Security Committee. He's the former CIA director under former President Bill Clinton. And he said our civilian grid is not secure. And whether it's a solar storm, whether it's a balloon, a satellite with a nuclear device inside, whether it's a nuclear tip missile that creates enough electric magnetic pulse to bring down our civilian grid that is not secure, doesn't have the equivalent as a power surge protector. So we need to ensure that our grid is safe, especially with all the pressure we're putting on it now, um, with more and more everything being electric. So this is how, and he said millions of people could die. Millions of people could die. He testified that in 2015. That wasn't a big issue in the 2016 presidential race. But we need to listen to people like that. How do we prevent? How do we secure our electric grid? So that's why, again, in doing Never Again Should There Be a 9-11, it was about how to prevent. How do you prevent another pandemic? How do you prevent the electric grid from going down and potential for millions of people to be affected and perhaps to die from lack of food, water, resources, sewage, jobs, banking, looting, a breakdown in society. But these are the big issues. I mean, these are why we have people in high-level government. This is why they play war games, to figure these things out so may they never happen. But, you know, it's just like taking good care of our health and well-being, you know, to do it to prevent problems, well, to stay in good 
as usual, I don't get through half my notes with you, not even one-tenth of them going through, because that was down on the pile, the EMPs, as well as Johnson taking the gavel. But we do have one glimmer of hope, because we're down to our last five minutes here. Uh, there is one glimmer that I saw when Mike Johnson took the gavel and made his speech. He looked out at the members of Congress, and he said, God has a purpose for each and every one of you. You're here for a reason. And he directly recognized uh, Hakeem Jeffries and other members there. And it was as if to say, hey, listen, no matter what, what happened before, we're here. We're all here to do the work of the nation, and let's get ourselves to it. And Heritage Foundation has a 25-point thing on their website on how to bring down government, bring down spending. So hopefully with the next president coming in, Heritage can work with them and with Congress to do the very things that you and I would have been talking about. (laughs) But we run out of time, as usual. Yeah, both sides have to agree to talk to each other. It's a really good idea. I highly recommend it. I think on that we can all agree. Let everybody talk to each other. They're hired to do a job, and when you're hired to do a job, you work and talk with your coworkers. May the best ideas and the best solutions win out. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, Claire, there are links to your video and and to your website on the show page. When people click on the archives, they can go directly over and see all the wonderful things you do. And Josh, again, you barely got a few few questions in, but next time, buddy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. All right. Oh, Claire, God bless you, and thank you for uh, putting up with us once again. And thank you for replaying Never Again Should There Be a 9-11, which is posted to YouTube. Okay. Well, I want to thank everyone that is joining us on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Blog Talk Radio, and half a dozen other places we're at. I'll leave you with my friend Gary Paccarella, Save America. So I say good night and God bless. I'm praying for this land I love, America, America, the home of the free. But there are people making plans to change America. They've no respect for her, what matters most to me. That's why I stand for the plan And I kneel at the cross Lord, for the friends I have loved and lost And ask you, we see, God we trust And the freedom I fought for is granted us I hope it's not America Do you hear our battle cry Across America We've got to rescue her You know it's up to me and you To see the truth behind their eyes Don't change America God bless America And the red, white, and blue I'm
America